does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Let's talk about a football game. That's what we're doing here on this edition of Kevin's Corner, looking back on the preseason opener for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Eddie Garrison, I saw they were favored by three and a half, so they did not cover. No. But I guess I kind of got the line, like no Allen, you know, Minshew at the second unit, Ellinger's the preseason darling, but uh, nonetheless, they dropped 23-19, and that is the last time you'll ever hear me react to the wins and losses of a preseason game, hopefully, on this show. Um, we'll probably do each of the next two Mondays to recap the preseason games, considering where they're at in the schedule. And then, Eddie, when they have that preseason finale a week from Thursday, that Friday, if it works for you, um, that would be a week from Friday. Uh, let's do a recap pod of the preseason finale, and that will also be a 53-man roster preview because uh, that cut down to 53 happens two weeks from tomorrow. How was the weekend for you, buddy? Not long enough, let me tell you. Just not long enough. How about you? Yeah, it starts to get into that, especially when, like, you know, the game's at 1 o'clock, and you know, next week, obviously, it's going to be a night game at 7, and then, you know, pretty soon we're going to have appointment viewing for college football, and you know, I know you do this, you know, high school football stuff, so yep. we're about, about to get that underway that. and everything, and... Um, but hopefully we can hang on these summer months a few months or a few months longer, certainly a few weeks longer, and uh, enjoy a little bit of good weather into October. It'd be better if um, the Reds were winning. I know. I feel like I've resigned my the, the the fact that it's all about the wild card at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even that seems like a pipe dream right now with the way they've been playing lately. Half game back of the Marlins, tied to the Cubs right now. You're listening to the two Reds fans right here, and you can hear the dejection in our voices right now. Need to get some. Pitching healthy ASAP and find a new bullpen between now and the end of <laughs> September. Um, all right, we got a lot of Twitter questions, Eddie, reacting to game one. We Basically, did. what we'll do on these recap pods in the preseason, I think the overview should just be Richardson and then offense, defense, and I guess special teams, which certainly had some moments that left you thinking, where's Bubba Ventrone? Um, but we will chat about the game here to begin and then get into Twitter questions. Um, Richardson thoughts, Eddie. Well, I guess, let me start here. The biggest thing in every preseason game. Outside of Sagoon Alubi, who suffered a concussion in the game, Eddie, I don't think a single player that I would put on a 53-man roster got hurt. I don't think they had many injuries anyways. No. But uh, an Alubi, I don't think is a slam, slam dunk. But he's a guy that you know is certainly in the running for maybe one of those final linebacker spots. But that's the biggest thing in the preseason. you know. And the offense... They played 29 snaps, the starting offense. That's a big number. I mean, when you go into a regular season game, I mean, 60, 65 snaps is typically what one side of the ball will have. So I mean, your offense played nearly an entire half, and for you know no one to get hurt, that mattered. Obviously, is a win. Uh, but let's start with Richardson. I mentioned to some people right after the game on Saturday, I'm like, boy, that was such a great watch for a fan of the Colts that – doesn't get out to Grand Park or mm-hmm. didn't watch Florida because I thought in those three series you got the full Anthony Richardson experience. Like it was 29 snaps, but I think you saw the potential, you saw the good, you saw the bad, you saw where he needs work, you saw it all. But I think mostly, I think you've got to be pretty pleased by what he did slash how he responded. And the response part is probably the biggest thing and why I want him to play, and I think Colts fans should want him to play and play early. Eddie, when you go out to Grand Park for a practice, it's a six-play period, and it's largely scripted. Mm -hmm. And then, you know what could be next? Uh, Punt drills, or seven-on-seven, or you might be going from a third-down scripted to a run-game script coming up for the next period. It's not game flow. It's not... There aren't ramifications for the plays. And it's not game speed either. Yeah. Yeah, so basically... Richardson's interception set up Buffalo's touchdown. Buffalo punches that in. So when Richardson trots out there for the next series, he's got to look up at the scoreboard that's 7-0. And again, I know it's preseason, but there are consequences for your actions. 
obviously the regular season that will be more magnified. But I think that's the stuff you just don't know with them. I mean, 13 games is 13 games at Florida. And so I think that's why you want to see him. And how did he respond from the pick? Two really nice drives. I would argue they should have or could have both been scoring drives. Uh, Third and one and fourth and one, two stuffs. I would like to think in a regular season, Richardson probably would have kept one of those two. Or you're doing the sneak. And move the chains. Or doing the Eagles sneak, you know, which is the play that works like like no other. Um, and then obviously you had the Farrell Brown penalty after the Alec Pierce drop. And, and, you know, that Matt Gay can't miss field goals that are under 30 yards. Yeah. So um, I, I think you had to be pleased, um, again, with the response. You know, obviously, once you get into regular season settings, you, you will see defenses try to force him deeper into reads. You know, I think if you watched his 12 attempts on Saturday, Eddie, I'd venture to guess most, if not all, were like first, maybe second reads. I mean, it was pretty quick rhythm. Even even the ball to Pierce, I think. I mean, there were some times he did man, manipulate a little bit with his eyes, but obviously you're going to see defenses try to kind of force a rookie into his... Uh, into his progressions, but I think you have to like that every drive got better, and you were thrown into some really poor field position situations, mm-hmm. which didn't aid him at all. And we talk so much about support and development with Richardson. I didn't think the guys around him supported him enough. I mean, yeah, Pittman holding a ball that was way out of his catch radius, or probably should have been. You know, if that ball's thrown to Isaiah McKenzie, it's you know way into the stands, but, you know, Farrell Brown's penalty, the Pierce drop, of course. Um, again, you were thrown into bad field position situations. You know, Matt Gay missing missing the field goal. I don't think that you were helped out a whole lot. Let's start with the interception. Isaiah McKenzie points out before the play that that corner's coming, that that nickel is coming, and the nickel did come. Judging by Reggie Wayne's reaction to Isaiah McKenzie, Judging by Anthony Richardson's reaction of like he was ready to throw it right at the snap, that almost looked like McKenzie's hot read should have been just immediately into the flat. Yeah. Whereas he ran like probably three or four yards upfield and then ran the little out. Now, having said that, that's a play where Richardson's got to dirt it. He's got to take a sack. He's got to throw the ball into the stands because you're going to get people in that situation of if you're bringing a blitzer, you want to make sure that if you're those DBs for Buffalo, you got your eyes on the quarterback right away. And Richardson's eyes were obviously glued to that right side, to that area. And Dane Jackson just kind of sits there and makes, you know, obviously one of the easier interceptions that he is that that he's going to have. So I think largely it was on McKenzie. But you took blame after the after the game. Yeah, too. and I mean, again, so did Steichen. I mean, everybody's taking blame, right? No one wants to, you know, out anybody here, um, which obviously I I did. But you know, Peyton Manning used to always say like, one of the biggest jobs for a quarterback is when you encounter a bad play, you don't make it worse. Like that's one of the most important jobs. So I think that is something that you know Richardson, you know, just work on that of like, okay make sure that you just live to see another down. Because the thing about Richardson is he offers so much big play potential. As long as the ball's hitting the turf and no one's catching it, he's a good enough guy to come back from second and ten or behind the chain. You know, those sorts of situations, he is much more of a, I can make a play. He doesn't need to get second and seven, third and four. Like, yeah, that's nice to stay ahead of the chains, but it's not a must with him because he, he can create those big plays. Now, again... I thought he bounced back really well from that. I was surprised how much Shane Steichen used tempo in the game. Yeah. We've seen so much tempo in camp. It's probably the biggest difference. I think we've talked, we've seen a lot of the perimeter runs. We've seen a ton of shotgun. We, again, saw that. But I was surprised that that, that tempo was as much of a wrinkle as they used during the game itself. A um, couple other plays that stood out to me, Eddie, and feel free to chime in. Uh, the read option where he keeps it, breaks the tackle from... Rousseau in the backfield, you know, that's that's a what a first round pick. And he turns negative three, negative four into five. I mean, that right there speaks to everything the Colts have lacked at quarterback through the last X amount of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, of taking a negative play with the ball in his hands and making something out of what should have been nothing or or should have been negative. Um I thought he I thought his best throw of the day, and a lot of people would disagree with me, I thought his best throw of the day was not the Pierce throw. 
And I say that because I've seen the Pierce throw time and time again in camp. Now, it's different in a game, to be fair. Yeah. But it's one of those things, Eddie, and I'll turn this into a golf analogy. Oh, yay. Let's say Anthony Richardson is great with his driver. And he might hit one 340. And that might wow the crowd. They're like, wow, did you see that? But maybe his swing coach is like, well, I know he can do that. So, like, that doesn't wow me as much. But what if you hand him a sand wedge and he's in a bunker and he hits the bunker shot to, like, four feet? And that's the area he struggles in. That might wow the swing coach more than the eye-popping driver. For me, I thought the sand shot was the ball, the seam ball to Kylan Granson. Because the ball to Granson, which was through a window over yeah. some linebackers for about a, what, 15, 20-yard gains? It was, yeah, it was 20. Like yeah, that. 20. That had just came off of some erratic underneath stuff. You know, he threw the wide ball to Granson earlier. He had thrown the high ball to, to Pittman. So he had been a little shaky to that point. I thought that was a big-time throw from him. And that's a ball we've seen in camp, airmail, sail on him. So that, to me, was his best throw of the game because, again, I don't consider that a strength. Yeah, I think listeners of this podcast have heard me say for the last couple of weeks, he is a natural deep ball thrower. It is great velocity. It's great arc. I mean, that ball to Pierce was in a basket. It was perfect. Perfect. That, to me, I mean, yes, it's a big play and all of that, and it stands out, but I thought the Granson ball was even bigger. And it was a great read. You know, Buffalo obviously sucking in those linebackers with play action. You've got an NFL window. Can you make an NFL throw? And I thought in that moment he made an NFL throw into an NFL window. So that one stood out to me. Um, there was one nitpick I had with that. I just felt like the decision was late to get it to Kylan that mm-hmm. had to force the tighter throw because I was watching a, a, a replay of it from behind Richardson. And, I mean, he had – space to get it out way before when Granton was coming out of the break because the safety hadn't committed yet to coming down on the Granton. And I I just thought if he rips that when Granton's coming out of the break, then maybe that's a 20 plus over 20 because there was a lot of space for Granton to work with once he got the ball. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely, again, places where he can continue to take those strides. But like you said, I thought it was a great ball just in general. Yeah, yeah, and and needed. I thought yeah. at that point. It was, it was eight-play drive, I think the second one. 14-play drive was the third one. The fact that he played 29 snaps, you, you see the leg element. I mean, and you see nice pocket presence as well. Um, again, NFL defenses will be much, much more exotic. Um, I, I thought Buffalo did you know bring some press and, and bring a little bit of pressure. Uh, but they're going to try to make you get deeper into your reads and all of that. But I thought it was the full experience, the full Anthony Richardson experience. Eddie Fire grading it, I, I'd probably give it a solid B. Yeah, um, I, I'd probably give it a solid B. And the fact that you had three series of work, yes, the interception you can't compound that mistake. But I thought they should have had points out of the second and the third series. I thought of a more of a real game. You probably convert the third and one to the fourth and one. Um, but all in all, I, I think you have to be pleased by a guy literally making his 14th start since high school. And I have you watched the documentary with, that was him and Bryce Young and no some dude from Iowa? I might have this wrong. I think they were supposed to re- release it right around COVID, but for some reason they didn't do it. But now they have have released. It. I think it, it was supposed to be like a Netflix documentary. Where is it at now? Uh, Where can I watch it? I say it was Tubi. T-U-B-I. Mm-hmm. So I watched it. I pretty much fast-forwarded through the Bryce Young and the other guy parts of it and just concentrated on the Richardson parts. Richardson it was not some five-star quarterback that went to all the Elite 11 stuff and played for a glitz and glamour high school. I mean, when you watch his high school team practice and then you watch Bryce Young's modern-day high school team practice back-to-back, it is too Totally different environments, totally different atmospheres, whatever you want to call it. Resources around you, competition, yeah, um, just like the look of the practice field. And it was just a reminder to me, Eddie, of like, this is a guy that didn't have, he was not pegged to be an NFL star all the way through. Or like, I mean, Bryce Young was the can't miss kid, USC commit, then decommitted, went to Alabama. I mean, Richardson, I mean, Gainesville through and through, Eastside High School, it's just a lot different. 
is just a lot different. And so, again, these are reasons why I think you've got to continue to put him into these environments as best you can. Um, uh, one question that I have is how frequent will we see running back screens during the season? Because it seemed like Evan Hole and Deion Jackson got quite a few. Yeah. Especially early. Um, yeah, I – it's a good question. I mean, we've certainly seen screens in camp. I, I don't know if we've seen anything more than a normal um, camp. And I guess with that, Eddie, unless you have anything else Richardson related, let's just slide in the offense overall. And let's go with running backs. You know, Hall got the start, kind of what we've seen. You know, he can make a play or two out of the backfield. And um, I think he was pretty much in him and Deion Jackson, I guess, kind of split those starting reps, if you will. Obviously, I thought Jackson was one of the better players. Uh, six for 35, I think it was, when he was in there with the starters. I'm reminded of this, and we had Joe Wrights on our morning show, former Colts offensive lineman who was on the radio call with Matt Taylor this this weekend. We had Joe Wrights on our show earlier today, Eddie. And I thought this watching Saturday quite often. It is amazing what a run threat at quarterback does to your run game. Oh, yeah. It freezes everybody on the defense for the split second. And... The big run to Jackson, they they did a great replay on from the end zone view. I think Nelson had a great block just kind of like getting right in front of the Buffalo guy. And if you watch the blocks by the Colts offensive linemen, all of them are in such perfect position with their blocks. You know, They, they aren't going to sniff a holding penalty. They, they're fully engaged with the Bills defender. Like I mean, Jackson's borderline untouched. I think a huge reason of that is, again, all these defenders are just a split-second hesitant, especially the edge guys of, like, what if five keeps it? I've got to have that responsibility. Yeah. And that is going to do wonders. And you know what? It was kind of twofold for me, Eddie. I thought to myself, this is really going to help the run game. And then I also thought, what if that was Jonathan Taylor hitting the second level? Oh, yeah. How many times did we watch Taylor last year be touched before the line of scrimmage? Or have to adjust before the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Not get the downhill three yards. And if Taylor's downhill for three yards and no one's touching him, now 4-3 speed is out in the open field. Yeah. And at 225 pounds, that obviously is a recipe that we have seen create some huge plays in his NFL career. Hell, he did a lot of that in that stadium a couple years ago. Speaking of which, you just brought up Taylor. We got some news regarding Shane yesterday, just a little bit on that front. Yeah, yeah. let's just go ahead and slide that in. I'm expected back to camp this week. Um, Nothing on the exact date. Nothing on when he will be medically cleared. I'm watching the medical clearance a lot. Could we have a situation where he is medically clear, but Jonathan Taylor doesn't want to practice? I think given the situation and given how Taylor handled his ankle injury last season and you throw the contract stuff on top of it, I think it's a fair thing to watch out for. Lastly, I'll say this, Eddie, on the Taylor thing, unless you have anything else to add. Nope. Let's look at the schedule. Let's look at the calendar. I'm a big calendar human, by the way. Maddie Bowen, sometimes it makes her mad, sometimes she thinks, I'm glad that we're organized. But that's neither here nor, nor there. Let's look at the next two weeks, Eddie. Right now, we're recording this on August 14th. It's a Monday. Tomorrow is the final Colt versus Colt practice at Grand Park. Mm-hmm. One hour session. Wednesday and Thursday, evening practices with the Bears. You play a preseason game on Saturday. I'd be beyond stunned if Jonathan Taylor's first practice in nine months came in a joint session. So I don't, I've crossed off Wednesday and Thursday. So he could go tomorrow in the hour session, but that to me is it for this week in terms of when he could make that practice debut in 2023. Let's flip the calendar to next week. In training camp, that is. In right? training camp, like he, he hasn't practiced at all in 2023. I know, but like, are you saying specifically in 2023 practice debut? Because I figured they'd practice before the start of week one, right? Right, right. I mean, he hasn't practiced yet. It'd okay. be his debut for this calendar year. Like, he didn't play in the final three games yeah, last yeah. year. He didn't practice in the spring. Okay. Um, let's look at next Monday. I would assume they go kind of light next Monday. Again, that's 48 hours removed from a game. They might not go at all, I guess. I mean, they're not practicing today on this Monday. And the schedule's weird for this week, I thought. Yeah, and so I, I don't know what they're going to do a week from Monday. But let's say they go for an hour. He could practice then. But then you get on a plane next Monday for Philly. You've got the joint session with them on Tuesday the 22nd. You play the preseason finale Thursday the 24th. So if you look at the next two weeks, 
there's only two days, maybe two days, tomorrow and a week from Monday, that you're practicing within your own team. And that's a controlled environment. Putting all the contract saga aside, if you're Taylor or if you're the Colts, I would think you'd want his first practice in nine months to be in a controlled environment. Yeah. So, Eddie, if we're looking at tomorrow or Monday, and let's say he doesn't practice either of those two days, now we're to a week from Saturday. We're to August 26th. That's 15 days out from the regular season opener. Is two weeks enough time for Jonathan Taylor to be ready for week one? So Rick Venturi joined JMV and uh, Bill Brooks and Jeffrey Gorman on the Colts pregame huddle Saturday morning, and they brought up Jonathan Taylor, and when he needed, Venturi wouldn't have liked to see him out there, and he said, oh, about 15, 16 days before week one. That's enough time to get ready. So, so that, that would be that, that, that drop-dead date of a week from Saturday. Yep. Which would be, again, two weeks removed from the preseason finale so you'd be done with the joint practices you'd be done with the preseason games but you would have you know whatever half dozen practices probably between that date maybe a little more than that and week one so yes the contract situation and as i've said all along i believe both sides are very dug in on this i don't think this resolution is going to happen quick or easy i I don't think it's going to happen with a flip of a light switch but we're starting to reach dates in the month of August, Eddie, where his health and a return date off of that is also of critical importance. And, I mean, do you even discuss, like, he could start the year on Pup. Well, there's four games. So, I, again, all of these I feel like are relevant to be discussed, and we're starting to reach some dates where they matter more and more. Um, so... I just want to throw that in there. All right, what about the offensive line? Taylor-wise. Unless you have any more on running back. No, um, O-line I thought obviously much better than last year's preseason opener. Yes. Um, yes, the short yardage stuff, the right side of the line without Braden Smith, not up to par. Eddie, I, I'm really worried about the O-line depth. I am too. And I feel like something we failed to mention about last year, and, and my hand is raised. because We do have a Twitter question. Couple Twitter questions about the O line. Okay, so just I'll, I'll just throw this preface. in there, and then we can kind of save more of the reaction to the Twitter questions. Eddie, the big three on your O line: Braden Smith, Ryan Kelly, Quentin Nelson. They played fifty of fifty-one games last year. Your O line was horrific, and the big three played ninety-eight percent of games. I mean, you we can argue if they played through injuries, and obviously Kelly was dealing with a whole lot. You know, off the field and all and all that, but like they were out there starting for fifty of fifty one games. What happens when just normal offensive line attrition hits one of those three? Yeah. Or again, hits the group in general. Because now when you say the big three, you gotta throw Ryman in there with them. Because you just don't have quality depth at left tackle, in my opinion. Like Ryman to me is just as important, if not more important, than the other three guys. Agreed. And Ryman, you know, obviously had a great healthy finish to last season. So that's where I think the concern lies because I thought if you look at Saturday and you saw the O-line issues, Eddie, I thought you saw them from guys like you'd label 6, 7, 8 on your depth chart from an O-line standpoint. Offensively, nothing else too much. Josh Downs, I thought, looked like Josh Downs, which, again, I expect him to have a a meaningful role as he should here in this rookie season. Uh, No one else really stood out to me offensively. Uh, Big picture defense, where do you want to start? Yeah, obviously six snaps is not a ton for that starting group. I was surprised to see Leonard. I, I was. Um, I don't think he really sniffed being around any play, and I don't say that to mean like, you know, he, he whiffed a bunch. I, mean, I think it was one of those things where some plays went away from him. Um, but I think we've reached the point with Leonard, Eddie, and, and this is a credit to him. I think we almost need to um, start grading him quality-wise versus quantity. Mm-hmm. I mean, by August... 14th again he's done it all he just played in a game I I don't think we would have thought he would play in the preseason opener so I think now it's all right how does he look snap count wise can he play the full number of snaps he usually plays which is every snap in a game and then two does he look like his old self because I think those are now the questions that we've we've gotten to when I've watched him in camp I've tried to stay away from the quality yeah it's hard not to go there when he's out there every day and, and I will say, like, I want to see more in that area, which to be expected, obviously, with all the time that he's missed. But I think that's where we're at with him. Obviously, they did a horrible job containing the edge. I don't know if that was on Flowers as that corner there on the James Cook touchdown. 
Yes. And then um, I thought Daryl Baker made a nice competitive play on third down. That's where Baker's at his best. When we've seen him in camp, he's at his best on those short, intermediate routes. It's when Alec Pierce beats him with a double move. Or, you know, I think vertically is where Baker will be more of a more of a question mark. Um, that was really it. I mean, obviously, you got the three and out. Your starters got, got out of the game. Um, I'm trying to think. Darius Rush on the pick, Eddie. What I like about that is, to me... The pick was right place, right time, but kudos to Darius Rush for beating that block to be in the right place. Yeah. Let's say that wideout catches it. Darius Rush is there for tackle for loss. Oh, yeah. So, is the pick a gift? Yeah. But again, he created the opportunity to be in position for the gift by beating that wideout for the block there and making the play. I'll be curious to see how much him and Juju Brents continue to try and push for playing time. Uh, Brents, I thought, a little little shakier. Um, but again, nothing too, too alarming there. I think Grant Stewart just made another tackle. <laughs> Did he have 100 for the game? I think he had 12. It helps when your hair is just flying around, right? Yeah, Joe yeah. Wrights was... Loving the hair just flying around there. Oh, he's got great special teams hair. Jamie Silva would be would be proud of that. Uh, yeah, he is easily on this roster. I would have said that before Saturday. Um, that's it. I thought Dio Dangbo had a couple nice rushes. Again, I, for me with Dio, it's like, okay, well, now let's see with the first unit. You know, I know he did that primarily with the Bills backups. Obviously, no Allen and no, and no Diggs, but um, I might have left the starters in there for one more series. And then special teams-wise, I thought the decision-making by – some of the return men, McKenzie in particular, were head scratching. I I will say, Eddie, I think oftentimes in the preseason you tell your return guys to bring them out so you can evaluate the rest of the unit. Let's see how they block. Let's see how they hold up. You know, taking a touchback or calling for a fair catch doesn't really do a whole lot. Yeah. In, in evaluating that group, uh, Matt Gay can't miss a field goal from twenty eight yards. Especially when you're paying him what you're paying him. Left hash and it went left, right? Yes. Yeah. N- not good. Uh, anything else game-wise, Eddie? I feel like that covers it all for me. Desmond um, Patman was a hero. Yeah. You look good. Strawn had a couple, or Strawn had a catch. Uh, he had that moss. Yeah. I I don't think anything else kind of stood out to me too, too much. I still am questioning if Strawn is going to make the team. That's just me. Because you don't know if they're going to carry six receivers. I don't know if they're or... going to carry six, and I don't think Mike Strong plays special teams. Correct. So five to me seems pretty obvious. Pittman, Pierce, McKenzie, Downs, Doolin. I could see Amari Rogers because he does play special teams. Boy, that's a lot of small dudes. Very true. Yeah, I don't know. Just Perriman. I mean, Perriman doesn't have any much special teams history, if if any. So I'll be curious to see um, how that unfolds. And again, just disappointed to see the tight end injuries. You know, Me Grants too. have played so much in that to start the game. Well, I mean, four of your top five guys are out with guys being banged up. And Julian Blackman, Eddie. I mean, we're now ten practices into camp. We haven't seen him. So I think that's something that you would want to see. Um, I know they. Aren't they working out Ronnie Harrison, veteran? Yeah. And then D, you know, D line, I just like to see a hair more pop. Like Quidipay, Ebucom, pop. Bears in town, like to see that here coming up on Wednesday and Thursday. Anything else game related, Eddie Garrison, before we get to Twitter questions? Rigoberto Sanchez look good. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been, I mean, you go out there to camp and you're like, you would never know that he tore his Achilles. No, he had a nice, what, 65-yarder? Yeah, great story. Uh, Was there anything that you didn't like, by the way? Uh, Well, again, O-line depth is a concern of me. Um, I think you want to see a little bit more pop from that starting defensive line. But again, I mean, that to me is more of a camp takeaway than a game takeaway. They played six snaps, so I'm not going to overreact too, too much. You know, six snaps of your starting defense – it, it, it's hard for me to get like too worked up over over good or bad, and then just I mean depth wise again the O line is probably what what stands out more than more than anything. I just had a concern with you know the secondary. Uh, when you combine how Barkley and Allen did twenty two of thirty, two ninety four, two touchdowns, one pick. Yeah, Ed, 
there's probably a little bit of me, Eddie, that's like, that's kind of my expectation. I mean, once you get, I mean, I'm trying to think. With no Rodney Thomas, no Julian Blackman, no Kenny Moore. And I think Matt Barkley finished 12 of his last 12. Did you really? I think he completed 12 consecutive. Minshew, I, I should mention Minshew. You know, he had that 6 of 6 series. Yeah. That was obviously very solid by him. I mean, Eddie, is there anybody in the secondary that played on Saturday that's played over 100 snaps in the NFL? I do not think so. Like, I don't think Tony Brown played either. They played the dude that was in the fight with Alvin Kamara. He was a starting nickel. Lamones or whatever his name is. Lamons. Lamons. And yeah. then uh, does Nick Cross have over 100 snaps? Maybe. But, I mean, it is a beyond youthful experience in, the, in that secondary. And Trevor Dimbo got the start, too. Trevor Dimbo, which we, that's what we've seen in camp. All right, ready for Twitter questions? I am. Let's do them. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Cameron is up first. He says, Anthony Richardson's ball made Matt Ryan look like he was throwing in slow motion last year. I'm here for it. Anticipated role in the offense for Evan Hull with and without Jonathan Taylor. Well, let's start with the Ryan thing. Eddie, how many times last year did we say, don't be bad and boring? He was bad and boring. Don't be bad, boring, and old at quarterback. Can I throw one more in there? How did he do, by the way, on the TV side? I could have sworn when I heard the Catalan calls, it was with um, Steve Tasker. I didn't hear the Matt Ryan side of it. Maybe... Well, I know he was there because Joe We Wright's, obviously get a Colts telecast yeah. locally, and then when I went back and watched some of it on NFL Network, it was... It was the Bills, and I, I don't know. I didn't hear much of Ryan, if any. Uh, be bad, entertaining, and be young at quarterback. The Colts might be bad this year. At least they'll be entertaining young at quarterback. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think a large majority of the fan base, Eddie, is legitimately looking forward to watching quarterback development and watching something different. We have seen Checkdown Charlie. We've seen Dig and Dunk. We've seen the game managers. Now you need to see the creator. What, what What's the Dane Brugler line? You know, you you aren't looking for a passer or a thrower at quarterback. You're looking for a creator. Yeah. That's what Richardson can offer, and so that's what you were doing. As far as Evan Hull is concerned, Eddie, when I look back at – when remember we did the rookie playing time podcast back in May? Oh, yeah. So I obviously do. then you think Jonathan Taylor's playing. I want to say I gave Hull like a four or five on our number scale and mentioned like he could very well be the third down back. Zach Moss is not a third down back. Yes. So – I said back in May, like I still think Hull, even with a healthy Taylor, could be that third down back. Now, I still think that, of course. And if Moss is healthy, Moss is. Let me go. Well, let's put Taylor to the back burner just for a second. If Zach Moss is healthy, Zach Moss is still your first or second down back. I mean, he's built for it. I mean, hell, you go out there, you look at his lower body, he is all first and second down body. But I still think Hull can be that third down guy. And then we'll obviously see if he eats more into. Rotational reps And then of course Deion Jackson's role That'll be something To keep an eye on as well I thought it was key For Deion Jackson To have the efficiency He did running the football Agreed And he didn't practice On Thursday I was a little surprised That he played So yeah As I, as, as was I Yeah I thought Deion Jackson Had a had a nice outing Is the offensive line Still a concern Scotty asks Yeah I mean especially After you get through The first couple Of guys I mean it's Again I thought The starting unit much improved from last year's preseason opener, which you could call it a disaster, albeit very small sample size, but certainly was a precursor to what we saw last year. Last year they got they had the short yardage stuffs, which I guess you had some of that on Saturday, but you had poor protection and you had a big false start and a fourth and one. Just like little things, it's like that stuff can can add up. Yeah. And I didn't think we saw that anywhere near to the magnitude as we saw it last year. I'll echo what I said earlier. You were so bad in your offensive line last year, Eddie, and health wasn't that big of an issue. You know What happens if health is an issue? I remember doing the exercise a few years ago with the Chiefs and 49ers when they made the Super Bowl. Yes. And I want to say you those two teams relied on backup offensive linemen to start, I think it was like a season and a half worth of games. So back then, maybe it was a 16-game schedule. They needed backup offensive linemen to start 24 games. I mean, that's a big chunk. 
when when you think about it. That's a big number. And it makes sense. I mean, you know, if one alignment goes down in week four and tears his ACL, there's 12 games that you need a backup to start for. Um, you know, whatever. MCL keeps you out for, for a month. You know, it, some of that stuff adds up. Um, Will Fries has still got to show me a little bit more. I thought Blake Freeland looked like a rookie. And Danny Pinter had some had some struggles. But, man, at, at the same time, Eddie, just what a leg threat at quarterback can do for your run game. Even without Taylor, it's like, boy, you still feel like there could be some nice run game production. Now, yeah. don't think for a second I'm, I'm saying that Taylor isn't an asset because Deion Jackson was 6 for 36. I think if Taylor had some of those creases, it might have been 6 for 60. He, You know, he turns... Six into sixteen, or six into twenty-six. You know those sorts of runs. Um, so yes, O line. I'd probably go depth is the concern. You need those big four to stay healthy. Craig knows it's early, but did Anthony Richardson's performance on Saturday help or hurt his chances to start Week One? What aspect do you think is most important for Steichen to see to want to start him Week One? Oh, certainly help. Yeah, I mean. And Eddie, I am clapping and saying, good job, Colts. Credit the Colts for being willing. Willing to embrace Anthony Richardson so early. Willing to give him, as we sit here right now with three practices to go in camp, these are unofficial numbers, I think it's 100 to 75. The reps, 100 for Richardson, 75 for Minshew, starting reps. I mean, Anthony Richardson just played 29 snaps in the preseason opener. How many did Bryce Young play? How many did C.J. Stroud play? I think Stroud was 11. Stroud was two series. I think Young was two series. And, and again, then I think Levis got a half. When you do the 14-play drive, and a credit to Richardson for having a 14-play drive, that obviously helps his cause to be out there for more. But you have got to play this dude. You've got to – and the Colts have been willing. They've given him the reps. They did it in training camp. They did it on Saturday. You know, Handle things at the line of scrimmage. That's probably the aspect that Steichen wants to see of like, okay – can he make the checks? Um, but I, I would right now. I would be. I'd be pretty surprised if Gardner Minshew started Week One. Pretty to very surprised. Interesting. Just barring health, obviously. Yeah, barring health and like, I mean, the starting O line looked fine. I mean, we are getting to. I should note this, Eddie. Starting Saturday, we have reached a whatever it is, a 12-day period with six big evaluation points. Saturday was the first of them. The next two are Wednesday and Thursday, the joint practices. Then the next one's the preseason game coming up this Saturday night. And then the last one, or actually the last two, the joint session with Philly coming up um, a week from tomorrow and then a week from Thursday, that final preseason game. So you still have five more big evaluation periods, but through 10 practices of camp and one preseason game, Anthony Richardson should be the starter week one. You think Yannick Ngakwe is going to be happy to be back here? Did he play in the preseason opener? I don't know. I'd have and to did look. I see Justin Fields just like threw the ball three yards in the air and then other guys ran him in for a touchdown? Yeah, he had three passes traveling seven yards in the air for like 129 yards and two touchdowns. <laughs> just wild. Yeah, but, but I, I am looking forward. I am looking forward to seeing Ngakwe and just you know seeing a team that obviously has some Colts connections on it. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jordan would like to know if there's any chance the Colts go after a right guard like Risner in free agency after yesterday or Saturday's game, or is Chris Ballard stubborn enough to let Richardson's development take a hit due to poor offensive line play? Yeah, I thought I've always thought it was Reisner. Uh, it is probably Reisner. I probably mispronounced Dalton, there. Right. I always thought he was kind of a left guard, but I don't know. I guess guards can be pretty interchangeable. Um, that's something I'm watching for this week. You know, I thought last year that preseason over with the Bills, Eddie, you could probably chalk up that O line, or at least the Colts probably did this. They could chalk up that O line first performance to like ah, outlier. Because remember, last year in camp, they've kind of followed the same script as this year in camp. They haven't really messed with the starting five. Right. They've stuck with it the whole time. Then those Lions joint practices happened, and I was like, whoa. That that coupled with what I saw in the preseason opener, now I'm starting to see it from two different teams. You know, 
that that got the flag kind of waving a little bit higher. And remember what happened in that preseason game with the Lions, Eddie, last year here? No. Frank Reich played the starting O-line, a few of those guys, in oh, that yeah. game. And I think that was another sign of, like, teams don't play their starters usually after the joint practices, but Reich was trying to, whatever, send a message or you know evaluate them. That was like, okay, by the end of week two of the preseason, this O-line thing is a legit, legit concern. So, again, I think that's just something to monitor, but... As of right now, they seem pretty content with what they got from a uh, guard and depth standpoint. RT Smooth wants to know if anyone presented the theory that Jonathan Taylor was out, quote, rehabbing, but really visiting other team or teams to see what kind of offer they'd had, uh, they'd receive. That sounds juicy. Yeah. And it sounds illegal. (laughs) It does. If he doesn't like it, He's back next week. If he likes it, the general managers try and work out a deal. Not totally unprecedented for something like this to happen, right? I I mean, behind the scenes, his agent could be doing some of this homework. Jonathan Taylor actually visiting teams while under contract via the Colts would be illegal. Yeah. So that would be the unprecedented. He, he, he ain't a free agent here. You know, it's not like he can just you know, visit whoever he wants as he pleases. Um I guess a couple things on this, Eddie. I'm curious, like how much medicals would the Colts share? I, I would assume if you want to make a deal go through, you'd be willing to share some medicals, and or I should say, if I were a team trading for him, I'd want to see some medicals, and I would want to get a better lay of the land here and exactly what you've got with with Taylor. I know that's a very murky situation to sift through, but I'll echo Eddie what I said at the start of camp. Or maybe I guess it would have been a few days into camp when Jonathan Taylor made his trade trade request. The culture are in no position as a franchise to make a statement. None. If you don't want to extend Jonathan Taylor, and he is as dug in as he is, you have to trade him, in my opinion. Yes. You've got to get some return on that investment. And whether that's a third-round pick or whatever it is, you've got to get that. And I know we had a question, I think it might have been on last week's pod, about, well— you know, can't you get a compensatory pick for him? Sure. I don't know what that would exactly look like considering the running back market for next year. But also that compensatory pick is not coming in the 2024 draft. It's coming 2025. The hope would be if you moved him right now, that draft pick would be here in 2024, which again helps you in trying to speed up in building development with personnel for Anthony Richardson as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a huge, huge key. Is it Vinake? I like it. Is that that what we're going with? We go with V. Yeah. Great effort by you. I tried. On a 10th. You want to spell it for the crew? V I N A I K. I think so. Vinake is the A silent. I don't know. V's question. Yes. What, Eddie? Yes. How would you compare Anthony Richardson's training camp performance so far to other past Colts quarterbacks in their rookie year? Comparing them to Andrew Luck, Jacob Eason, Sam Ellinger, etc. Thank you. Boy, that's a great question. I'll be honest with you. Eason and Ellinger's rookie year. Eason was COVID, right? Yeah. Rivers took every single meaningful rep. You know, Ellinger, or was Ellinger COVID? Ellinger was two years ago, so. twenty-one. Yeah. Um, I guess he did get a few more earlier reps because you had, is that when Wentz broke his foot? Uh, Wentz broke his foot early yeah, in camp. Yeah. So yeah, those guys did. Um, I would say Richardson has looked – the thing that Richardson's looked better on is is the big play stuff. Again, Ellinger would have days where he'd go 8 of 11 and he'd dink and dunk his way down the field, but you knew that was – His game. His game and it wouldn't survive. You know, Richardson, again, has flashed a lot more down the field. You know, Last we talked, what was Monday our last pod, Eddie? Yeah. So Richardson practiced on Tuesday and Thursday. Those were two of, I thought, the poor days from Richardson in camp. The Tuesday practice is when he underthrew some guys deep, got picked once. I think he should have been picked the other time, if I'm not mistaken. And I was I walked off the practice field, and I'm like, that's so un-Richardson-like because we haven't seen him like that yet in practice. The deep balls are always on target, mm-hmm. always in stride. Like, no issue there. Then Thursday... They went indoors, and that was right when Steichen had told him that he was going to be the starter just before practice started. And Richardson said he wasn't amped up or anything. He looked amped up. He looked like 
I mean, we all have the friend back in Little League that he can fling it on the mound, but he can fling it. And the catcher's going to the backstop every third pitch to go and get the ball and throw it back to him. That fastball was humming, and it was, I thought it might hit some people in the crowd at Grand Park. Um, so, again, those are the accuracies. It, it kind of probably is a little reminiscent of Eason's arm. I mean, luck was much more consistent. So, yeah. That's a good question, though. It's a unique question. Craig. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hey, Kevin. Are the Colts underestimating the impact of Jonathan Taylor? He has nine Colt franchise rushing records during his three years, had a 4.5 yard per carry behind an off awful offensive line last year and the team is 13 1 and 1 when he rushes for 100 yards he's at least a top five back in the nfl and the best weapon the colts have on offense what is the most likely scenario you see happening at this point it's inconceivable that they would trade him away trade away a special talent and quality person off the field and by the way the last part of that i think is um Rep as a quality person off the field has been hurt a little bit. Sure, sure. Yeah. By all of this, right or wrong, I would agree with that. Yeah, I, and how much of that agent drink? Um, yeah, you, you can make that argument, but I think it's a it's a fair statement to make. Um, I think the hundred yard stat has always been a little mis misleading. I, don't, I I always see them pop that up. I mean, sure, it's it's notable, but I mean, how many times are you running out the clock and you go over hundred yards, or you're trying to build the lead and hold the lead. I mean, Jonathan Taylor is a great, great runner, Eddie. I, I don't – I think he might be the best first and second down runner in the entire NFL. Um, you have to game plan for him. He hits home runs. Most guys don't do that. And, you know, I brought up – you know, Craig brings up franchise records here. It is a little bit crazy, Eddie. When you think about it, two years ago he sets a franchise record for rushing yards. Didn't he have 500 more rushing yards than, like, anybody in the league? Uh, yeah, that was the Der- well. that was the year Derrick Henry got hurt. Yeah, and just like we're talking about a franchise with four Hall of Fame running backs, and he's done that. And again, in an era where the running back theoretically is devalued, and how much you you know the monetarily they are. I don't think they are in terms of yeah, the but I think in general used. you 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 don't have the bell cow days like you used to have the bell cow days. Right, like Edron getting twenty five carries a game. You don't have that as much nowadays around the NFL. Um Are they underestimating him? I I think they are underestimating him in the support for the Richardson. Again, I, I think I've tried to make this point. What the Colts are doing overall, and I know this can sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I think this is just how I view the Colts situation versus the NFL. The right approach for me is don't draft a running back till day three and don't pay them major money. But you're not starting... You aren't a GM taking over tomorrow. You aren't starting an expansion team. You have a very raw and unique prospect at quarterback like no other. You have cap space. You don't have many, if any, marquee skill players. And for all of those reasons, you have to live in the reality of right now. And that's where, again, putting the health question to the side. Let's just put it to the side for a second. That's why, in my opinion... Three years, $39 million for Jonathan Taylor is something that I would say I'd lay down on a piece of on a, on a, on a table and say, take it or leave it. And it'd have heavy front loaders in that contract. And that's would be that's what I would do. If someone countered to me when I said that the other day, like, well, what happens if you get to the final year of that contract and Taylor then wants a restructure to make more money in that third year? Fine. But now that means you're two years into Richardson's development and now you have a clearer picture on Richardson. Now you've reached year three and you've thought to yourself, okay, we feel like Anthony needs A. We feel like he needs B. That position he can hide a little bit. This position we need to upgrade. Now you've you've turned over more of the cards. It's the matching game, and now you know where where, where more of the of the different matches are. Whereas right now, you don't know where any of them are. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm looking at it from a Taylor standpoint. And my question for Chris Bauer would be like, okay, you're going to let him walk. Where are you spending the money? Yeah. And where are you? Maybe they look at it and they say, look at next year's free agency class. It's loaded at running back. We'll get one of them. And we'll get it for high, half the price tag. 
and now getting into the health debate, Eddie, that's what that's where you're at next to. How much is the ankle the outlier, or how much is this the first bat with father time? Mm-hmm. Because nothing in his high school collegiate career or first two years in the NFL has sniffed injury. And how much of this is Wisconsin wear and tear starting to arrive? Those are all questions that now you have to encounter the medical aspect. But I'll stand by what I said earlier, Eddie. I think that if, if Jonathan Taylor were practicing in the spring and in training camp, the Colts would still have this stance. And that's why I think some of it is Shane Steichen rooted. Fair, fair, fair. Got two questions left. Uh, I'll go with Alex since it's still pertaining to Jonathan Taylor. From a business perspective, it's hard to think of a more remarkable or marketable and shareable uh, Colts moment in the past several years than Jonathan Taylor's Patriots run, and I'm adding this in there myself, or the five-touchdown game against the Buffalo Bills. And JT was... Patriots run, probably the loudest I've heard Lucas Oil. Oh, boy, since the Luck playoff game, Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jonathan Taylor was one of the only reasons people continued to pay to come to games the last couple of seasons. Until last month, he was a great public face for the Colts. It seems like the phrase, it's a business, is usually weaponized for a team, but rarely for a player. Even on the field, I imagine teammates just feel different about their chances with him compared to a lesser running back. How are those intangible, or how are those tangible aspects of what Taylor brings to the table represented in the whole kerfuffle, or are they even a factor? You know, I go back to some of Taylor's. Con- it's it's an interesting thought and, and qu- you said Alex for that one. Yes, Alex. It's an interesting thought and question from Alex. There, I go back to what Taylor said in June. He had the same talking point that he repeated quite often. Community. Community. Yeah, off the field. And I think that's where Taylor's frustration lies so much. He says to Chris Ballard, your past precedent is you always pay these guys. You always do. So why are you stopping now? And again, is this Ballard saying, I have to change my my blueprint? And then does Taylor, which again, obviously is a question I've asked him annually, and Taylor says... You want to do that now? When you have this rookie quarterback, where where are you spending that money? How are you spending it? You going to extend Michael Pittman before the start of the season? You know all of those things. So I think it matters, but at the same time, is this a different Taylor? That's where you where you have that question, and his durability, I think, is part of why the Colts love him so much. Yeah, and now that is seemingly in question here. Prime Video is announcing a green light order for Kelsey, a documentary that follows Eagles All-Pro Center Jason Kelsey through this season. Uh, the doc, which premieres September 12th on Prime Video, is produced by 9.14 Pictures, Vera wow. Y Productions, and NFL Films. Him and Shane Steichen are pretty close. Oh, Jason? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if Travis will get involved in that or not. I don't think there's anything you got to wonder about that. <laughs> I, I think you know. Yeah. All right. Final Twitter question comes from Matt, and there's a couple here, so we'll do one and then two. Uh, KB, hope all is well. Uh, questions for the next pod. Number one, not Colts, but I've enjoyed the conference realignment talk, and maybe in the minority, that I'm excited about it. Here in Oregon, it's Big Ten country now, and I'm excited to catch our Hoosiers in 2024. What are your thoughts about the impact it'll have on IU? Oh, so he lives in Oregon, Matt does. Yeah, and he's an uh, IU fan. Uh, spent a week there for my senior year spring break, covering IU actually in the first two rounds of the tournament back in 2012. Uh, was in Portland, but I've heard beautiful things. Need to play. You need to get out to Bandon at some point for me. Bandon Dunes, that whole experience. I need to uh, put down on the bucket list. We'll see what Maddie Bowen thinks about that. Um, yeah, I mean, selfishly, I absolutely hate the realignment. Um, like, if you were IU or Purdue football, Eddie, how was last week or two weeks ago good for you? Right. So you got more money for your athletic department. doesn't help you as a football program. Are, are you going to win more? You can try and help recruit more yeah. West Coast kids, yeah. I, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it seems like such a stretch to me. I, I just think you're bringing in two programs that are better than you. And now you move further down yeah. the, the ladder. And I get it. I, I should probably put a capitalist hat more on with this thing. But how many times, Eddie, have you... Have you gathered at the – okay, I'm a Notre Dame football fan, for example. So I obviously get into a lot of back and forth with people about the success of my football team. Can you imagine if I brought up the – do you guys know how much money we we make from NBC? <laughs> do you guys know how much money is in our endowment? 
they would just look at me and be like, dude, shut the hell up. No one cares about that. They care about, did you win nine? Did you win ten? Did you make a playoff appearance? Did you go far? Did you win a bowl game? Did you win your rivalry game? That's what matters. Yep. The wins. And how does this help you in winning? The W's. Like, the only way you fill up Memorial Stadium or Ross Aid, and Ross Aid certainly fills up much more than the one in Bloomington, is you create a happy fan base by winning. And, yeah, Oregon and Washington, I guess it's kind of cool. Obviously, for Matt, you know, he enjoys it because he will see Big Ten schools, you know, out there and clearly has an interest in the state. But to me, it just doesn't help you from a competition standpoint. I guess, you know, maybe you improve your facilities and more NIL. I, I have no idea if that's going to help you. I just think at some point, Eddie, don't we reach a point where, I don't know, the Big Ten or the these TV – so the TVs run the conferences, right? ESPN runs the SEC and Fox runs the Big Ten. Is that kind of what we're getting at? Is that what people are well, – I thought it was NBC with Big Ten now. Well, there's there's a lot of them, but Fox has Big Ten Network. And so yeah. that's yeah, – yes, they are on other stations, but the primarily ones are the Big yeah. Ten Network and then – um, Fox with, uh, what is it, Noon Kickoff? Big, big Noon Kickoff. Yeah, whatever it's called. I mean, at some point, dude, like Fox and ESPN just say, does ESPN be like, hey, guys, why is Vanderbilt in the SEC? <laughs> like, can we get Vanderbilt out and get Clemson in? How many people are watching because Vanderbilt is in the SEC? How many people would watch because Clemson is now in the SEC? Right. And to the Big Ten, do you ever get to a point where Fox says, Fox located where? And L.A. says, um, Indiana and Purdue football. Don't think they're moving the needle much. Can we cut some fat? Now, obviously, you have other programs I think you'd cut fat from. And who knows? Maybe tradition and history of the presidents and academic reputation would, would keep that. But do we ever get to a point with football in particular where it's just all that matters is how successful you are as a football program? Now, again, at some point as well, Eddie, you've got to beat up on others. I mean, if you have a mega conference with 10 unbelievable teams, obviously two or three are at the bottom. Yep. And so you want to have some of the bottom feeders. So I'm not a huge fan of it, but that's just me. I probably should play, you know, I probably should do a little get off my lawn. Matt, second question. Injuries in the past, like Luck, Shaq, etc., have led to questions surrounding our medical and training staff. As a Colts fan, bias since injuries happened to all 32 teams. But now with Taylor going off-site to rehab, what gives? Is this a go home until traded scenario? Do you think the Colts staff overdiagnoses? It seems like that's not the root of JT's ire with this team. Thoughts? You know, Matt's second question here, Eddie, is one I've thought about quite a lot over the last 10 or 11 years covering this football team. And I will admit, I don't have a great answer. Um, how much is it medical? How much is it nutritional? How much is it strength conditioning? Eddie, these guys go away for like six months in the offseason. They all rehab with very individual rehab people or workout people. Um, is it something they're, th- that they're doing there? Is it the turf at Lucas Oil? You know, is, is it just a fluke? Is it a, is it a freakish thing? I do find it wild, and if you're a Colts fan maddening, that Andrew Luck, Shaquille Leonard, and Jonathan Taylor, arguably your three best players over the last X amount of years, have all had difficult injuries to come back from, but I don't think... Leonard's case is different, but in Taylor and Luck's case, I don't think we'd label any of the either of those injuries as a ruptured patella, torn Achilles, anything of that magnitude. And now Luck, you know, how much of that, again, was off the field and him feeling like, you know, his personal relationships were being impacted, all those things. It's just odd. They seem like such low injuries on the on the totem pole, and yet... They're difficult to return from. They're difficult to get back to 110%. They're difficult to, you know, diagnose in a proper time frame from a calendar standpoint. Again, Leonard's having surgery last June. Like, that's not ideal. I don't know, Matt. It's um, I'm too dumb to probably answer that one accurately. So I apologize. <laughs> but clearly, I think organizationally they've had similar questions. Yeah. I just because EJ Speed had a similar injury, no? Right, and again, I mean, is speed the same thing as Taylor? Is it, you know, how is every injury the same, or is every injury different? I would think so. Bodies react differently. I mean, the wear and tear for speed is probably different than the wear and tear for Taylor. Who the hell knows? The medical experts. Well, but I, but again, do they? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I said all serious. I'm, I'm not saying, saying they, them. I'm just saying medical experts. Yeah, I mean, they know more than I, but 
I don't know. Matt, those are some great questions, though. Did you say that was the last one, Eddie? Yes, sir. All right, we'll come back on Monday. We'll recap the Bears game, joint practices with the Bears, look ahead to the final preseason game of the of the year, which is kind of crazy, a week from Thursday. And then roster cuts again two weeks from tomorrow. Just one big cut. The NFL's done away with the little cuts. 90-53 to 53 is the big one. He is Eddie Garrison. I'm Kevin Bowen. Everybody have a great week. 107.5 The Fan, all your camp coverage.